There's more mischief, mayhem, and nefarious goings on in the city of brotherly love than Billy Penn could have ever imagined. We've got it all here on the Twisted Billy Podcast. True crime, haunted history, the coolest and creepiest places to visit. Welcome Welcome to to Twisted Twisted Billy. Hey Twisters, what up? Welcome back to Twisted Billy. It is October and that means I can talk about Halloween all month long. If you don't like Halloween, you're going to hate me for the next month. Halloween is my jam. I will find reasons to dress in costume as many days as I can this month. Usually I do more than one costume and I'm all about special effects makeup. There was a teacher in high school who introduced me to the concept of latex. Oh, fuck. That sounds so creepy. I don't mean it in a sick, twisted way. I mean he showed me how to create prosthetics with latex, and I was hooked. I have been self-taught in special effects makeup ever since. I'll be throwing some pics up on Twitter this month of my favorite makeup applications. Sometimes when I'm bored on a Friday night, I bring out my kit and just do my face. Yeah, I sort of need a life. So last week, the weather in Philly was totally fucking twisted. It was like a monsoon for two days. And I was downtown, and I would see people step outside of buildings and attempt to open umbrellas. And I'm watching these people thinking, what the fuck are you going to do with that? The trees are practically bent in half, and you think your little wireframe polka dot umbrella is going to protect you. And of course, the second they get them open, the umbrellas flip inside out, and I'm standing in the rain all smug like, I could have told you that was going to happen. But I had the best walk in the rain last week without my umbrella, intentionally without my umbrella. The winds had died down and the rains had slowed. There was this constant mist coating the air and I could catch glimpses of my hair as I walked and it was like tiny little pieces of wet glitter resting on my hair. It was so cool. Now, where did I walk to? Well, I'll tell you in a minute, but first we need to get to the what-ups. The first what-up today goes out to my daughter. Now, first of all, she was really sick this week. She's doing much better, but that's really why this episode is a few days late. Kids come first, so thank you for your patience. But since it's October, we officially kick off the Festivus of My Kid. We've been doing this since she was four, and I don't know why we started when she was four. I guess it's just when it popped into my head. Her birthday is in late October, and we celebrate all month long. Sometimes it's little things like making her favorite food or baking her favorite cupcakes. And sometimes it's bigger things. Like later this month, we're going to be at the Hotel Hershey for the weekend, indulging in some chocolate facials. Yeah, if you're not from around here, chocolate facials are a thing in Hershey, Pennsylvania. The twisted thing about Hershey, and I'm stealing this line from my friend Danny because it's one of the best lines I've ever heard, is that when you're in Hershey, it either smells like shit or chocolate depending on the way the wind blows. The shit smell comes from the cows because Hershey is surrounded by farmland. So what up, child of my loins? My next what up goes to the listeners, especially listeners who left me recent reviews. I read your comments and I could cry. Like seriously, no bullshit. You are all so kind and thoughtful and have the nicest things to say about me and the show. And it's just totally humbling. So big Philly what ups to Lady Caddy J, JKL5876, Ms. Fizz Fizz, spelled with all Z's, which is like the coolest iTunes handle ever. What up to Ama? And I can't say it without sounding like a three-year-old talking to their mommy. And to Laurie0228, what the hell up, guys? Thank you. Your feedback makes me push even harder to give you great content and make you laugh. 
My last what up is to a podcast friend who's been under the weather this week, and that's kind of an understatement. I'm not going to use her name because I don't want to spill someone else's personal details, but I've been thinking about her a lot, and I wish I could help in some way. Since we live really far apart, the best thing I could do right now is to send her all of my good healing vibes and yell what up from the twisted Philly rooftops, which I won't actually yell right now because then my audio editing would suck even more than it already does. So where did I walk last week? Well, if you follow me on Twitter, you know I visited the Free Library of Philadelphia, which is an amazing building. It's one of the most incredible libraries I've ever seen. In fact, it probably is the most incredible library that I have personally ever visited. This wasn't my first visit, but this was a very targeted visit. I spent all my time in the rare books section, and there's a pretty cool exhibit right now about the history of the Mormon religion because Philly just opened this gorgeous Mormon temple. No, I'm not going to talk about polygamy or big love. God, I miss that show. But that exhibit has some amazing historical documents, like old as dirt, and there's a twisted Philly connection or a twisted Pennsylvania connection to the Mormon pilgrimage, which I never knew about. So there you go. My mission last week at the Free Library was to introduce you to someone very special, and that someone is Grip. Grip is a raven that lives at the Free Library, and he's dead. He's stuffed. The only reason that raven is standing there is because it's been nailed there. Yes, that was my abysmal attempt at a British accent and my love for Monty Python. I turned the parrot sketch into a raven sketch. Grip is enormous, and I had no idea that ravens were that big, and I don't know how many times I've been in the library, and I never realized until recently that Grip lives there. He's like the size of a small dog, like maybe even bigger than a chihuahua, but thinner. And he's beautiful, like his feathers are iridescent. Grip is over 150 years old, but the years have been kind to him. Twisted Philly what up to whomever taxidermied him, is that even a word? Like, how do you say taxidermy in the past tense? I don't know. And Grip's case is magnificent. He's standing in this beautiful nature scene with old gnarled tree branches, and I don't know if they're black from age or because they've been painted black, but it is the most macabre diorama I have ever seen, and it is just fucking fabulous. So who is Grip? Grip belonged to Charles Dickens. He was his pet raven. No, Dickens didn't live in Twisted Philly, but trust me, there's a connection because Grip inspired someone very special. And I know some of you are probably like, it's Poe, it's Poe, it's Edgar Allan Poe, and you would be correct. But there's a path we have to follow first, and it's the path of how Poe came to meet Grip and eventually how he came to live in Twisted Philly. Before we tell Grip's tale, and eventually Poe's tale, I wondered what the difference was between a raven and a crow. We've got crows galore around my house, and as much as I love Poe and ravens, ravens or crows, whatever, whichever it is, they also freak me out because there was a story my dad used to tell me that three crows on your roof were bad luck, or even worse, they could symbolize death. I read up on this, and Dad, I am sorry to say you are full of shit, and I think you just like to freak me out, because the legend actually says that it's only one crow on your roof that brings sorrow, woe, or death, which is still freaky. Two crows are supposed to bring joy or positive change, and three crows, which my dad said were nefarious, are actually symbolic for marriage or the birth of a child. So... When I think about it now, maybe my dad was right after all because now that I know that three crows mean marriage or a baby, I'm scared shitless. My kid is almost 16, as I already mentioned, and the last frigging thing I need right now is a baby or a husband for that matter. 
So I checked out the Audubon Society to get educated, and common ravens and American crows are found in the same area of North America, and they're easy to confuse one for the other, although ravens are bigger. They're more like the size of a red-tailed hawk, and their calls are different. Crows sound like a caw, not to be confused with caca, like the sound Sean William Scott made in the movie Evolution, which I know is a stupid and ridiculous movie, but I fucking love that movie. Crows caw, ravens croak. Like a frog? No, Twisters, not quite like a frog, but the sound is much deeper and more guttural. And that is probably everything you never really wanted to know about ravens or crows. Well, too friggin' bad, because I am all about history and education in addition to twisted shit. Okay, back to Grip. Grip was the pet of beloved author Charles Dickens, and I call him beloved because I love Dickens, the deep, rich character studies and tales about societal struggles in the 1800s. Oh, yes, I've got a thing for Dickens. And it's crazy because he kept a pet raven. Like, who keeps a pet raven? Grip eventually inspired a character in Dickens' book, Barnaby Rudge. In 1841, Dickens wrote to a friend saying that after studying Grip, he imagined that he could make a character of him by having Barnaby in the constant company of a pet raven. But the sad thing is, right after Dickens wrote that letter, and it was only maybe a few weeks after he decided to include him in his story, Grip died. Grip had this weird habit of eating paint. He would peel paint strips off any painted surfaces and lap at white paint in a can. Um, maybe somebody should put the lid on the can. Gee, Grip is acting strangely these past few months since he's been eating paint. Maybe it's all the fucking lead in the paint. I wonder if we should stop him. So it's pretty damn likely Grip died from lead poisoning, but that is just my humble opinion. I was not able to find any fact to back that up. In another letter to a friend after Grip died, Dickens shared that the raven seemed to rebound for a bit after a few doses of castor oil, which was like the wonder drug of the Victorian era. But eventually he succumbed to his ailments, and before he took his final breath, he croaked and shouted, Holla, old girl. Then he fell over and died. So Grip was destined to live in Philly because he was shouting holla back in 1841. Dickens had Grip preserved with arsenic and stuffed and mounted on a branch and kept in a large glass shadow box. After Dickens died, Grip the First, um, and I say that because he had two more ravens after Grip, but Grip the First was sold at auction. Eventually, the stuffed Grip was purchased by Philadelphia Colonel Richard Gimble, who was the son of Gimble Department Store. Does anyone remember Gimbles or Wanamakers, like the good old days of shopping in Philly with your grandparents? Okay, I digress. So Grip was bought by Richard Gimble in Philadelphia, who was a huge Poe collector. In 1971, after he died, Gimble's Poe collection was donated to the Free Library of Philadelphia, and that's how Grip came to roost in the rare book wing at the library. Now, Edgar Allan Poe liked to say that Grip was not the inspiration for the Raven, but I'm sorry, Edgar, as much as I love you, I think that is complete and utter bullshit. So why are we talking about Poe on Twisted Philly besides the fact that I absolutely worship at the altar of Edgar Allan Poe? Well, he lived here for a number of years. So we're going to talk more about his relationship with Dickens, his time here in Philly, and the legacy that he left behind. There are so many firsts about Poe. He was considered the inventor of detective fiction. He was even called the father of this genre. Poe started the idea of a locked room mystery. His stories had ciphers in them, and he introduced the idea of the least likely suspect being the villain. Poe's original detective stories were inspiration. They were the foundation for characters like Hercule Poirot and Miss Marple, Charlie Chan, even Sherlock Holmes. In 1841, Poe invented the rules of the game when it came to detective stories. 
he was one of the earliest authors to write short stories, which is my favorite sort of fiction to write. Um, yeah, I'm a writer too. I have my latest short thriller on Amazon. If you want to check it out, you can find the link on my Twitter page at twisted underscore Philly. But this episode is about Poe's writing, not mine. One of the things that I love about him is that he was the first well-known author in America to try to make a go as a full-time author. No other income other than from his writing, and that's terrifying. But he threw caution to the wind and banked everything he had on his writing. And he started from difficult, humble beginnings. He was born in Boston in 1809, and he was orphaned just two years later. He was taken in by a family in Richmond, and as he grew into a young man, he had countless disagreements with them over his gambling debts, his inability to pay for his education. He was sort of adrift for a number of years. And because he couldn't pay for secondary education, he joined the Army in 1827. He tried his hand at West Point after that, but it just wasn't the right fit. Like, you can't put a brilliant, creative mind that thinks, unlike anyone else, in an environment where he has to follow a rigid sense of normalcy. Within two years, he made the decision to be a full-time writer and poet. And he was broke, but he was writing. After he left West Point, he went to Baltimore where he had extended family, and he lived with his aunt, Maria Clem, and his cousin, Virginia. Now, if you know anything about Poe, you're probably thinking, huh, his wife was named Virginia too. Yeah, well, that's because he married his cousin. I don't know if they were first cousins or third cousins, but I do know they were kissing cousins. And I also know that Virginia was only 13 when he married her. Edgar, honey, I love you, but 13? You couldn't have waited until she was 16? Like, I know there was no age of consent back then, but this is like some Game of Thrones shit. Things turned around for him a bit when he was in Baltimore. Edgar Allan Poe worked as an editor at the Southern Literary Messenger, and that's where he developed his notorious reputation as a literary critic. He wouldn't just slam the work. He would slam the authors. He eventually got bored there, and there wasn't much money, so he moved to New York, and things were even worse in New York. There was no work to be had for a full-time writer in New York in 1837, so a year later, he moved to Twisted Philly. Poe's most prolific and successful years were spent in Philly, and of course they were, because we are the city of brotherly love. Although, I wasn't feeling much love today when I got a fucking parking ticket for leaving my car with the hazards on for about 18 seconds. Yeah, that was my day. Even though these were his most successful years, he still wasn't making shit. He published his first collection of short stories in Philadelphia. It was called Tales of the Grotesque and Arabesque. Oh, Mr. Poe, you do know the way into this girl's heart. And for this brilliant work, he was paid 25 free copies of his book. So he became an advocate for higher wages for authors and for copyright laws. Poe was this creative genius, and at the same time, he was a champion for literary social issues. While he was living in Philadelphia, he met Charles Dickens. Dickens spent about six months in America back in 1842, and some of that time was spent in Philly. Poe had reviewed a number of Dickens' works, and Dickens was one of the contemporaries who he actually didn't insult. When he reached out and asked for a meeting, Dickens was happy to oblige. Would you like to guess one of the Dickens' tales Poe reviewed? It was Barnaby Rudge, where Grip the Raven played a very large part. While he was in Philly, Dickens tried to help Poe get work. He solicited British publishers to pick up some of Poe's stories, but he didn't get any bites. Just three years after his meeting with Dickens, Poe published his poem, The Raven, and the lines in the poem are reminiscent of the description of Grip in Barnaby Rudge. 
Not plagiarism, but definitely inspiration. And I think the reason Poe denied being inspired by Grip is because his friendship with Dickens didn't last. Maybe he didn't want his most famous work to be connected with a fellow author who he no longer liked. And let's face it, Dickens was way more successful than Poe was, at least at the time that they were publishing. So there was competition there. Poe lived in five different homes during the six years he spent in Philadelphia, and only one of them is still standing at 532 North 7th Street. It sits at the corner of 7th and Spring Garden. Although it was declared a national park in 1978, it's not near most of the historical park locations around Independence Hall. It's this beautiful, enormous red brick duplex that looks completely out of place for the commercial section of Spring Garden Street where the house sits. And what I love most about Poe's house is that it's empty. The emptiness is symbolic for his struggles as an author and as a husband with a chronically ill wife and desperately trying to earn the respect of his peers. There's no furniture in it. There are murals on the wall where a desk or a fireplace may have been, but it's bare and it's stark, and that speaks so much about the difficult life that he had and his personal demons. There are remnants of the fireplace in his bedroom, and it's cracked, and... The plaster is peeling away from the walls, and I look at it, and I wonder if that's just how this room looked when Edgar and Virginia slept there. And, oh, God, that is what thrills me, to be standing in a room where one of my favorite classic authors, someone who was so different and unusual for his time, wrote and ate and slept and pondered and worried and hoped. To stand in what could have been his presence is just so meaningful to me. So if you do visit Edgar Allan Poe's house, please don't complain that there's no antique furniture inside. The outside is going through some restoration, or at least it was when I was there this summer. There was scaffolding up everywhere, but you could still get inside. The inside looks a little run down, but it's authentic, so suck it up. The other side of the house has exhibits about his life and his work. There's a reading room, and in the reading room there's some furniture, there's some antique couches, and you can sit there, you can take your time, you can read a book, you can read one of Poe's books, and of course there's a little shop. You could take a guided tour, or you could walk through the house at your own pace. If you don't know much about Poe's life or the time he spent in Philly, I recommend that you ask for a guide, because these guys know their shit. And if everyone does a self-tour, then like they're going to be bored all day long. So please, ask them for a tour. And you have to go in the basement. The basement is creepy as fuck. Some of the walls are made from huge stones and others are brick that at one time were covered in plaster and the plaster is crumbling. The stairs have likely been replaced. There's simple wooden steps that lead down into the center of the basement with a worn brick floor and there's sunlight coming in so it's not dark or at least it's not dark depending on when you visit, but there are dark corners everywhere. And some believe the basement of this home and Poe's cat, Katerina, were the inspiration for his story, The Black Cat. So what happened to Poe after he left Philly? His wife, Virginia, contracted tuberculosis towards the end of their time in Philly, and she died five years later in 1847 when she was only 24. And Virginia was extraordinarily beautiful, like she was ethereal with hair like a raven, after her death, Poe just lost it. He turned to alcohol, and eventually he returned to Baltimore. And, you know, what happened to him in Baltimore? Nobody's really sure. Not to offend our twisters in Maryland, but I kind of wish he would have stayed in Twisted Philly. On October 3rd, 1849, Poe was found drunk and rambling, incoherent, wearing clothes that weren't even his in the street. He was taken to Washington College Hospital, where he died four days later on October 7th, 1849. 
there's so many theories about his demise. Was it consumption? Was it tuberculosis like his wife? Was it a heart attack? During the four days that he was in the hospital, he never regained any sense of coherence, so he couldn't explain what had happened to him. I think he died of complications from a broken heart, broken over the death of his wife, broken over his tireless quest to be a respected author and make a living at his writing, and eventually both took an enormous emotional toll. Something that really pisses me off about Poe's death is his obituary. And if you want to read it, you can find it online. I am not including any of it here. It was written by a man named Rufus Griswold, and not the shitters full Griswold, although it's spelled the same way. What up, Pricey? Uh, that's a shout-out to a dear friend of mine who also obsesses over the Griswolds. Rufus Griswold was a journalist and an editor in Philadelphia during the time that Poe lived in our city. He wrote an anthology of poets and poetry in America. Now, Poe, as we know, was a bit of a prick when it came to criticizing the talent of other writers, and he got into some pretty bad arguments with Griswold over the authors that were included in this anthology. Poe thought some of them were complete shit and should not be included in something where his works were featured. So when Poe died, Griswold wrote his obituary, and it was nasty. Like, it was just really ignorant, and he didn't have the balls to put his own name on it. He used a pseudonym, and then he spent eight years trying to further tarnish Poe's reputation, which, as unfortunate as this is, was pretty damn tarnished to begin with. Brilliant writer, a bit of a crazy man, sometimes a drunk, antagonistic, but have some fucking respect for the dead. Griswold went so far as to forge letters to fabricate proof about the malicious, nefarious statements he made about Poe. Like, the guy was jealous as fuck. So we all know Poe is buried in Baltimore, and just like our sports fans, there are some crazy Poe fans in Philadelphia who arguably believe he should be buried here. I am not one of them. Okay, well, I'm a crazy Poe fan, but I don't think his grave should be moved. Some of his happiest years were spent in Philly, but Baltimore was a huge part of his life, and that city does a terrific job maintaining his final resting place, and his Baltimore home is also a museum. So let the man rest. Stop freaking out over where he's buried. Be grateful he spent some of his years here in Twisted Philly, and we're lucky enough that one of his homes still stands and was turned into a historical landmark. All right, now go out and get yourselves some damn culture. Go visit Edgar Allan Poe's house at 7th and Spring Garden. Walk up 7th Street to see the mural across the street from his home. And if you're in Baltimore, go visit his home there too. And go read a book, especially a book by Edgar Allan Poe. Go read The Raven. Go to the Free Library of Philadelphia, which, again, amazing. More books, more culture, and grip the enormous stuffed raven that inspired both Charles Dickens and Edgar Allan Poe. Well, Twisters, this episode wasn't spooky, and it didn't have any true crime, but I think Edgar Allan Poe's house is one of the coolest and creepiest places to visit in Twisted Philly. Speaking of cool and creepy places to visit, the Mutter Museum has some awesome events this month. On October 24th, they have a reading and talk with author Mark Hartsman about the embalmed head of Oliver Cromwell, which is a true story about a head that traveled all over Europe for 300 years. On Thursday, October 27th, they're hosting Mischief with the Mutter from 6.30 to 11. They're going to have a beer garden and full access to the museum. On the 30th, they have a Day of the Dead celebration from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., and it's family-friendly, but my kid already told me there's no way in hell she will go with me, so I need someone's kid to come with me. But I don't think most of my friends' kids will want to go either. And then on Halloween, they have a concert with a band called The Jazz Doctors, so go to MutterMuseum.org, click on the Events tab for details, tickets, all kinds of information, Again, the Mutter has not asked me to plug them. I am just in love with the Mutter, and I will try to talk about that place every chance I get. 
So what else is going on in Philly for Halloween? Well, I'm going to tell you about Bates Motel. I have never been to Bates Motel, but I hear it is one of the scariest haunted houses in suburban Philly for Halloween. And it's not a real haunted house like Ballerie Mansion. It's a pretend haunted house with people jumping out at you to scare the piss out of you. And quite frankly, that's why I don't go to places like that. I do not like dudes in masks jumping out at me because I will literally pee myself and that would be embarrassing. And then everyone will be like, oh, the Twisted Philly chick peed herself at Bates Motel and I'm not about that. But if you are about scary costumed people in haunted houses and haunted hayrides, Bates Motel is absolutely something you want to check out. The crew at Bates Motel have been doing this for 25 years and they're really good at it. So if you want to learn more, go to thebatesmotel.com. I've had so many people ask me what I'm going to be for Halloween this year, and I don't fucking know. Last year, I was Freddy Krueger in honor of the passing of Wes Craven and the anniversary of one of my favorite horror movies and favorite horror villains. And I was also Addie from Z Nation. Yeah, I do more than one costume depending on the day. The year before that, I was a weeping angel from Doctor Who, and I was also Jack Skellington from Nightmare Before Christmas. But this year, Halloween falls on a Monday, which kind of sucks. Um, I guess it sucks more for the kids than it does for me. Me, but I don't know I think Halloween on a Monday just sucks but I know what I won't be I won't be a fucking clown can I tell you we had some of the dumbest clown shit happen this week so a teenage girl created a social media profile and then proceeded to post about specific schools where a posse of 12 clowns was gonna show up and shoot up a school then she tried to say it was a prank okay if that was my kid but it wouldn't be my kid because she knows better than to do something that fucked up and nefarious just today, my friend Andy, what up Andy, sent me an article about hundreds of Penn State students running around campus because they heard there was a clown sighting. Like, this shit is so ridiculous. There are clown sightings in Canada now. My friend Rochelle, what up Rochelle, also sent me an article about this ratbaggery. Oh, and that's my new word, ratbaggery. It's Australian slang, and I have my friends Brooke and Allie to thank for introducing it into my vocabulary. So what up, Brooke? What up, Allie? Everyone, please find a way to use ratbaggery in a sentence. I really want it to become a thing here in the United States, and I like that it doesn't sound as gross as douchebaggery. Okay, we've had culture and ravens and poetry and museums and authors and Halloween happenings and clown reports. Holy shit, that was a lot for one episode. Thanks again for listening, Twisters. Every week I am just blown away by the kind, considerate reviews and comments on iTunes and social media. Like, it's just awesome. And I am so grateful. That being said, I do have a favor to ask. If you listen on iTunes, please take a second and subscribe. One, it helps you because then you never miss a new episode. And two, it helps me. I'm a single mom. I'm trying to save for my kids' college. Subscriptions really do make a difference. And I don't want to plug big national brands. Like, I want to just keep talking about cool shit and cool places in Twisted Philly. Not that there is anything wrong with podcasters that promote big national brands. It's actually really awesome when that happens because it means their shows are doing really well. It means their shows are blowing up and people love them. For me, though, I want to keep things local and just promote what I like in Philly. Well, Twisters, it's that time in the episode where I must bid you adieu. We will have true crime in the next episode and more cool and creepy Halloween happenings in Twisted Philly. Have a great week. Ciao for now, Twisters.